my friends, the great experiment. It's the only way to make ends meet. Hit it. Trink, trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink, trink. Let your people, you're all astronauts, are some kind of star trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We're both struggling today, Adam. You, yeah. with a head cold, it's turned into a chest cold. Yeah, head and chest. Mm. Doubling up. <laughs> I brought it back from New York. I brought two pumpernickel everything bagels back from New York and a head cold. <laughs> I'm picturing it moving from your head down into your lungs like that the like map in a movie about a pandemic where they show like yeah. the red spreading across the United States and then they zoom out and it spreads across the world. I feel like I'm good for one of these a year, maybe two. I fucking hate it. Yeah, it's it's the worst. This is relatable content to what we're about to watch, but like I feel like I've got methods to expedite but i don't know if they work like but what i want to do is feel like i have some control over it like through effort i can hasten it yeah but i don't know maybe that's just all in in my head and my chest (laughs) i'm on a a heavy soup and juice diet i feel like those are good things but even if they don't do anything at all uh, they make me feel better you you love a soup. Yeah. You're looking for excuses to soup it up. I know. I know. I love soup more than most people love most other foods. <laughs> I'm running at half speed today because I'm very tired. This yeah. is not Daron related. My uh No? My cousin was in town and he invited me out to a My cousin is a very fancy lawyer and he oh. invited me out to a gala that like, I found out later that the only reason he really invited me was that uh, it would have looked bad for his firm to not fill up all the seats at the two tables that they'd been allotted at this gala. <laughs> wow. It was nice to see him, and we got we got a nice hang-in, but, like, I was mainly there as a seat filler. Yeah, I get that. And then I went out afterward with him to uh, the bowling alley at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel and went bowling with a bunch of uh, fancy white shoe litigation attorneys. You're a, a secretly good athlete. I bet you're great at bowling. I uh, <laughs> We didn't finish the game because... Oh! I, I don't know what happened. Like Oh, that upsets me. There were 10 people bowling in in this game and i think we just overran how much time we had reserved in in the alley and like the next group was supposed to come in so they they like asked us to leave after eight racks or something like that that is so how they get you yeah like at a bowling alley or at top golf you buy the amount of time and the game never ends in such a way where you aren't made to buy more time right yeah. And I just can't leave a game in progress. They've got me. We had no choice. We had to leave the game in progress. Ah. Oh. I did roll a 69, which nice. you know, wasn't my final score, but had to be my final score. How many frames for that 69? Uh, I think it was 7 or 8. I was in like the top 2. It was me and a guy named Rahul that were like really neck and neck for the top 2. I I didn't get any strikes, but I picked up a bunch of spares, so I was doing okay. Let me ask you another question. Okay. How heavy is that ball when you're creeping around 
sticking your fingers in things. What's what's Ben's ball weight? I do not have a preference, and it did not seem oh. to me that they had any specific differences in balls at this particular bowling alley. Like they were all uniform. This doesn't make any sense at all. This is this a regulation bowling alley or what? No, it's a two lane alley that's mainly a fancy cocktail bar that has the gimmick of also having a couple of bowling lanes. It, are the lanes the the proper distance and width, or is this like funny bowling? You know, I didn't pull out my tape measure, Adam. <laughs> I I I just cannot believe that. <laughs> We were keeping score with a fucking chalkboard here. It wasn't like video bowling, okay? I just can't believe that they had bowling balls without weights on them. They might have. It was dark in there. It was like a moody, like cool environment, you know? I think I'm seeing what's going on here. You were you were there to be social and have a good time, and my mind's going straight <laughs> toward like getting the exact right weight of ball right. and making sure that this is a regulation width lane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's where we diverge in the fun. I would not have had a good time at this hang. <laughs> no chicken fingers? There was there was a there was No awful pizza? There was french fries and some like really fancy olives going around. You said this was the Hollywood Roosevelt? Yeah. Oh, this was the 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 site of your wedding. It was. Reception, right? Yeah, not the wedding or the reception, but the after yeah. party and uh the after after party if you know what I mean. Mm, mhm. They uh, carry you and your wife up on those chairs mm-hmm. with the song, and then they throw you in those chairs into the pool. Yeah, they say, hey, have a nice Nagila. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Was Nagilam Jewish? <laughs> you struggle against the inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why uh, when they're going around on that other ship and it's empty... And they keep yeah. going from, you know, they go in one door and they come in on the door on the All opposite the side of the bridge. All the doors have a little thing on, on the doorway. They start kicking their feet back and forth and they, they link arms and they start going back and forth through the doors. Wow. Yeah. Have Nagilam. Have Wow. We're not here to talk about Star Trek today, Adam. No, that's right. It's, it's Greatest Trek Spring Break. Ben, week five, and we wanted to celebrate some of the cast members of Strange New Worlds, their careers, and one actor that you and I were both very interested in knowing more about was Babs Olison McCoon, and we were like, what is a cool thing of his that we could watch to get to know a little bit more about his career as an actor, and uh, didn't watch Dune. <laughs> Didn't play Jazz Horse. That's one of his credits. He's in Jazz Horse? Yeah. Yeah, Damn. he's the voice of Baptiste. Good luck getting home. Wow. In Jazz Horse, he was in The Blacklist. A lot of credits here, but one credit popped to the service for us for some reason. The Law & Order Special Victims Unit episode, Retro, <laughs> in which he plays Mr. Morong. Yeah, this uh, for some reason was what we picked. <laughs> We had so many opportunities to select a credit that was Mr. Marite or, mm. or Mr. Mariter than this one. <laughs> Boy, what a dark episode this is. Yeah, I get the sense that this is kind of the the stock and trade of SVU is that it starts dark and gets darker. Yeah. And uh yeah, this this one is no exception. 
definitely like want to do a little content warning up at the top. A lot of like sick babies and children in peril. No sexual crimes per se in this one, but it's 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 a pretty dark gap. So we're we're going to talk about what happens in it, uh, and if any of those are kind of hot buzzers for anyone listening, you have been warned. Do you want to get into this episode, Adam? I sure do, Ben. I'll start like this. In comedy, Star Trek podcasts are considered especially embarrassing. (laughs) In Los Angeles, the dedicated hosts who perform in this genre are an elite show known as Greatest Trek. These are their episodes. Here it is, Ben. It's Law & Order SVU. The episode is called Retro. It came out in 2008. Written by Josh Kocheff, Ben, who's the son of Ted Kocheff, the director of First Blood, one of my favorite movies ever. Whoa. How about that? It's written by a Nepo baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. It looks like he's gotten three episodes of Law & Order SVU made. Yeah. He worked on A Dog's Life. Mm-hmm. A movie called Hidden Assassin. If you're a fan of Babs Alassane McCoon the way we are, you really want to tune in for the first 15-ish minutes of this episode. <laughs> yeah. And his part begins right away. This cold open is right outside of the uh, Firehouse 99, where the engine is starting to roll out, but stop short to avoid broadsiding the cab that Babs is driving. Are you trying to get yourself killed? The baby, the baby. What's wrong? She's sick. This is a pretty audacious way to ditch a baby at a firehouse. Yeah. I couldn't tell if he was trying to do the like surrender a baby anonymously thing that you like you see sure. that like sign on firehouses sometimes. Uh-huh. Or if he was just like you guys can get to the hospital faster than I can. But like there's another emergency in progress and we never get we never catch up with what what happened with the fire. <laughs> yeah. No one ever asks. I guess those victims aren't so special. This is a secretly sneaky bit of acting here by Babs because he's acting like he's acting. Yeah. Because this is is. a cover-up in progress. You don't know it yet. But when when Mr. Morong gives this baby up, he explains that one of his fares left it in the back. Yeah, he's a taxi driver, discovered that there was this baby in the back of his cab and the baby has a very bad fever. Pretty soon, we are at the hospital with Mariska Hardigay and uh, what's the dude cop's name? Maloney? Oh, we're talking about uh, Stabler and Benson, are we not? I guess so. I just know Maloney from like the many memes about what a great butt he has. Yeah, not a lot of butt this episode. No. Uh, so, so, yeah, they're, uh, they're like, why'd you call us down here? This baby hasn't been uh, sexually assaulted or anything. And the doctor's like, what a weird thing to ask. What's happened to her is a crime. Kids only get this sick when they don't get treated. Treated for what? The baby has full-blown AIDS, Adam. Yeah, and and thrush also. Yeah, but thrush... You know what thrush is? It's like a yeast infection, right? Oh. Yeah, I think you can get it in your your lower holes or your upper holes, but it's some kind of fungus or bacteria run amok type of deal. Yeah, and this doctor is... 
fucking pissed yeah. about this. Yeah. Because this baby is so sick due to neglect. Like, it's not just that the baby has AIDS and it has thrush. It's that these things have progressed to the extent that uh, the baby's life is in danger. Yeah, and I, I was trying to remind myself, like, what were the treatments and things in this era? Because I actually did work on a couple of video projects about, like, getting AIDS medicine to less developed countries and stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that the situation is much improved now, but like back then it was like a manageable disease with antiretrovirals. So this was like a, why on earth is this baby sick in this way if these drugs are available and we live in a developed nation? I mean, one of the head fucks of this episode is that for 2008, like, yes, there are viable medicines that help people live longer and healthier lives, treatments for people with this illness, and a minority of people who don't want to take them and, and don't believe in them. A lot of the same logic as the like anti-masker, anti-vaxxer set is being employed by many of the characters in this episode, but about a previous pandemic. Right. So after the theme, we catch up with Mr. Morong a little bit more, and he's talking to Benson about what happened. And like conveniently, taxi cabs have dash cameras facing out and cab cameras facing in. And Stabler seems pretty confident that they'll be able to pull up the person's face, the face of the person who dropped the baby. Right. There's some talk about like how these cameras work. They like turn on when somebody gets in and the meter gets started and they take a picture once a second yeah. or something like that. But the previous fare is an older gentleman, not the lady that Mr. Morong had described. So either there's something fucked about the cab cam or Mr. Morong did a bad thing. The cab cam just had one of those like app filters on it that just turns everyone into an aging older white man <laughs> yeah yeah just trying to make it to work it's a deep fake uh, <laughs> everyone likes that filter mm -hmm. on instagram very popular um so they they're like hey man what's the deal and uh he's like well i didn't do anything bad to a baby but i did uh turn off the meter and uh accept cash for this ride because you know like Doing it the the straight up way, you can't make any money as a cabbie in New York City. As a person who lived in New York for, uh, I mean, longer than me, which is no amount of time, <laughs> did you ever encounter a cab driver who wanted the cash fare in this way? I never did. I I've had a couple of like run-ins. Like you definitely did. You call the taxi authority like from the back seat when the guy tried to do that. <laughs> Um, hi, this is Ben Harris. <laughs> I'm inside a crime in progress. <laughs> uh, I definitely had the, like, I'm going to Brooklyn, but this taxi driver doesn't want to go to Brooklyn. And I think technically they're not allowed to do that, but damn, it used to happen pretty frequently. And then uh -huh. I'm not really sure what the, like, politically correct term for them is, but uh, the- Oh, just, just try out a different- Couple different versions, Ben. I'm sure it'll be fine. They used to get called gypsy cabs, and uh, uh -huh. these, these were, uh, <laughs> you know, unmedallioned taxis that uh, would only accept cash. And the the rule with those is you negotiate the rate ahead of getting in, right? Because 
you know, like you don't want to get there and find out that they have a very different number in their head. <laughs> if you've got a problem with Ben Harrison using that phrase, you can take it up with Wes Anderson, <laughs> who, <laughs> who constructed an entire cab company with that name in the Royal Tannenbaums. Yeah, he invented that. I'm just quoting yeah. him. <laughs> that cab has a dent in it. No, I know that that's not a good thing to call him. I just don't know any other name that anyone would recognize. Right. Anyways. G-word cabs. <laughs> they prefer to be called Roma cabs. Yeah, yeah. So Stabler presses Mr. Morong on why the camera didn't get the fare, and he has to explain that he did it cash only because... Yeah. His admission comes from a very like pure place. He's like, look, man, gas is expensive, and sometimes cash fares help me pay for resources that allow me to have this job. And Stabler, to his credit, is like, all right, man, I get it. Like, You, you did the right thing with this baby. Yeah. I'm not going to jam you up about yeah. you know, a meter grift. But, but what I am going to do is send you to a sketch artist, and Mr. Morong is like, awesome, I've always wanted to see how that worked. And me as the viewer is sitting on the couch is like, yes, I want to see Babs describe this this lady, and I want to see the, the caricature get drawn. Yeah. I love this part. This is the best part. Yeah. I make the eyes, um, what's that nut? Almonds? Almonds, yeah. That's Sorry, that doesn't happen. He doesn't go to uh, the Seinfeld episode where they draw the... I was destroyed by this. From the blind date or anything. <laughs> Could we take out a little of the deep, deep sadness of this episode and replace it with some fun uh, <laughs> caricature drawing? I'd like that. You're going to have to go to Seinfeld for that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, you were right. She was gorgeous. So using mitochondrial DNA, the I guess this is the medical examiner, this lady. Yeah, Dr. Morner. Yeah, she... Ben, are you a big SVU head? We should probably take a beat to just uh, talk about our, our familiarity with the show. Like, for a lot of people, the Law & Order universe is a comfort watch. It is not for me. I really like procedurals, but I've never really been able to get into Law & Order, and I've never really tried. I, mm -hmm. I've had roommates that loved it, so I've, like, caught lots of it over the course of my young adulthood. Uh, just because it was like on in the apartment, but yeah, I'm I'm not a person who like tunes into it on purpose by myself. Yeah, it's not appointment television for me either. But every time I watch it, I'm really struck by just how, I mean, the greatness of their performances for such a long period of time and their intensity. Yeah, I think is really admirable. Like the the standard of quality for this show has been high for so long. It's it's really an amazing. Success. No, I mean, it's like, it, it's one of these shows where you watch it and you're like, I understand why there are 485 episodes of this like spin off of yeah. an even bigger television show. Yeah. And, you know, like when I was a filmmaker in New York, occasionally I would have to cast actors in things. And mm -hmm. the joke was always like, tell us if you haven't been on Law and Order, because like putting it that you have been on Law and Order on your acting resume doesn't tell us anything if you're an actor right. in New York. Like we will assume. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. And like, I think that um, I, th I thought that Babs really stood out among the guest stars in this episode, of which there are many. Yeah, yeah. 
a lot of standout acting here, for sure. So uh, so they figure out who the mom is, and we spend a very brief period in a like interview room on Rikers Island with the lady whose baby this is, Joanne Suarez. She gave this baby up to her downstairs neighbors because she, you know, I guess like knew that she was going to be in and out of jail. And so she didn't want the baby to be put in the system. So she had the baby at home and never got a birth certificate. So there's no record of this baby's existence. But her downstairs neighbors should have been taking care of it while she was in Rikers. And they're like, did you know that your baby has AIDS? And this comes as a shock. Detective Benson, famously played by Mariska Hargitay, delivers two lines of dialogue in back-to-back scenes that are so (laughs) soul-crushing that it's just amazing. Like, she's in the morgue and she asks Dr. Warner, did the baby die? Like, (laughs) holy shit. Like, there's got to be a better way to ask that question, but she's probably seen hundreds of babies die in the length of her career. She just comes out and asks. And then with, with Joanne in the interview room in Rikers Island, she just, as a matter of factly, spills that not only does the baby have AIDS, but Joanne, the mother, has has AIDS too. And wow. Oof. Wow. I referred to like the intensity of the performances, and I really do admire that, but you never get this entire episode that there is an inner struggle with the people on the law and order side at engaging with the very sad stories that become a career in this way. Right. I feel like all SVU episodes are this heavy. Like they keep on doing law and order spinoffs that are like darker and grislier. And like (laughs) that preamble to this show is is like, if you think law and order is (laughs) fucked up, get fucking ready. (laughs) We're continuing to top ourselves. Like look out this fall for law and order. Come. (laughs) Law and order popping zits into other people's mouths. Yeah, like they just push the envelope on this. And I think there's an appetite for the procedural that is like just consuming these 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, in a, in a binge style fashion. And I think when you don't watch someone deal with the trauma of it when it's their career, I think it makes it easier to to binge in that way. You don't you don't you aren't made to think about yeah, the the trauma over a long period of time. If I'd watched this episode maybe like a day or two earlier, I would have reached out to a friend of mine who is a prosecutor of this kind of crime in New yeah. York City because she's like a very like happy, optimistic, nice person and I know that she like when she's at work is in this kind of trenches. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's as like fast and furious as this episode. Like, I think that there's also that like time compression thing of this show where like every scene is like a pivotal moment in the case. So presumably yeah. there's like days and weeks in between every scene where they're yeah. just like working the case. There are people with the constitution to do this kind of work. I certainly am not one of them. You know, like in talking all this out, 
it strikes me that like this is exactly the type of person you want in a difficult job, like the kind who is able to compartmentalize and stuff. I don't want a hyper emotional surgeon or pilot or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I knew a medical examiner back when I lived in Seattle and she was like fun and funny and cool. And you would never know what she did (laughs) because that was just one of her silos. Yeah. Yeah. You do not want a Ben Harrison or an Adam Pranica in any of these jobs. (laughs) No, this is the only job we can possibly do. (laughs) So, uh, so she tells them that she left the baby. And my wife begs me not to take it home with me every (laughs) night. I told you when we got together, baby, you were going to have to share me with every Star Trek episode, every Ferengi. Yeah. So she left her baby with a downstairs neighbor. Who do you think that's going to be? Well, it's Ida Jallo, Adam. Yeah. But she happens to live with Mr. Morong. Oh, jeez. Mr. Morong! Detectives. Mr. Morong! You have more questions. Is the reason we didn't see the caricature being drawn is because Mr. Morong is sitting there describing his lady friend? <laughs> yeah, he pulls out like a, a photo from his wallet and he's like, she looked a lot like this. I don't know what I'm saying. I should probably go. Like that's the missing scene, I think, that kind of breaks the first third of this episode is like, what happened between then and now? Right. For Mr. Morong. Yeah, what did they do with the picture? Did they like put the picture up in the post office? Have, be- yeah. have people been looking at this like fake person that he described? Yeah. Anyways, so they're from uh, Gambia. They had expiring green cards, so they didn't want to just like go through official channels reporting this illicit AIDS baby because yeah. they were worried they would get deported. And they don't want to go back to Gambia, but they do have a ton of respect for the medical uh, advice of the president of Gambia, who claims to have found an herbs-based cure for AIDS. Chest paste, Ben. Yeah. No matter who you've told in your life, rubbing chest paste on them (laughs) has no medical benefit. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of videos of people providing chest paste on the internet, and it never seems to be in a medical context. Mr. Morong is like, look, uh, we couldn't get the paste from Gambia. The shipping on that is just, oh, it's so expensive. You'd never believe it. They've got to pack it in dry ice. It's a whole thing. We needed to find a local paste and a local doctor to prescribe it. And uh, that's what leads the trail to Dr. Gideon Hutton's doorstep. A man who prescribes yogurt for AIDS. (laughs) Doctors prescribe... Dairy departments provide? Yeah. Yogurt for AIDS. Are you out of your mind? Not every patient with HIV needs medication. Ladies and gentlemen, Martin Mull. (laughs) The great Martin Mull is in this episode. This is one of those episodes where you get a couple of pops of like, oh my God, Viola Davis, (laughs) Martin Mull. Yeah, Viola Davis is Martin Mull's attorney. Which I could spend a lot of time... (laughs) interrogating why the hell that match is made (laughs) when he's in court later. Holy shit. Yeah. The cops try to talk the DA into prosecuting Dr. Hutton for being a bad doctor who didn't give the right kind of medicine to this baby. And the DA is like, no, this is a civil case. Like the way this is corrected in our system is he'll get medical malpractice lawsuits and he'll, 
you know, he won't be able to get insurance and he'll stop being a doctor. This is the point in the episode where the doctor nicknames start from all of the cast characters on the show. Like, <laughs> I think you could assemble a reel of all of the Dr. Blanks mm-hmm. the <laughs> jokes that everyone tells this episode. And yeah. I think there's like 12 of them. Oh, man, these jokes fucking slapped. Every <laughs> single one got a belly laugh out of me. Yeah. I'm afraid they might buy the garbage Dr. Strange loves selling. Check out Dr. Demento's website. It's time we put Dr. Do-Nothing out of business. The ADA Greylick is actually a real central figure in this episode. And she's like, look, this doc is a quack, but that's really for the medical board to decide. That's not really something the DA's office wants to involve itself in. And Sergeant Munch gets in on a joke. Ice-T gets in on a joke. Ice-T has one scene in this episode, and it's it really makes me sad because he talks about the theory about AIDS being a government plot, Yeah, and it's something that his parents believed, and uh, God, it almost takes the laugh completely out of all the jokes about this doctor that uh, everyone tells. I was also just thinking about how fucking dense the show Bible for this show must be when they have like literally 25 seasons or something like that. And like a character will toss off some, some like world building about their family and their upbringing like this. Put that in the wiki. Yeah. (laughs) Like somebody has to be on staff to like catch it. If somebody ever says like, yeah, so my parents were working at an AIDS charity. Like, no, 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 no. They would never have done that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did I ever tell you I saw Ice-T one time in, in public? Oh, tell me about that. That had to be great, right? I was walking down the street. I was looking in a store window, and I saw mm-hmm. Ice-T in the reflection in the store window, like, walk right by behind me. And I was like, holy shit, Ice-T just walked behind me. I'm, I'm on 8th Street in, in Manhattan. And I, uh, I was like, I wonder where Ice-T is going. And uh, we happen to be walking the same direction. So I'm like kind of walking behind him for a little while. And he turns into the Dashing Diva Nail Salon there on 8th Street. And he goes in to meet up with Coco. Wow. You saw Ice-T and Coco. Yeah. Ice loves Coco. That's great. I had a celebrity encounter when I was in New York last weekend. No kidding. Face to face with Ethan Hawke in Brooklyn. Whoa. Just on the phone, walking by, doing his business. There he is. Couldn't be anyone else. That's great. Really fun. We watched his documentary about Paul Newman and uh, Joanne Woodward recently and thought it was really great. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah. He is a a skilled filmmaker. He really is. So they start talking about AIDS deniers, and this is the kind of person that believes that there is no link between the human immunovirus and acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. And this is going to be a tough nut to crack because if these people like genuinely believe the things they believe, like you can't like prosecute them for believing bullshit, basically. Right. Right. The goal from here is finding other patients so they can both help those patients, but also bring Dr. Hutton to justice, right? Yeah. So the, this is a, a sort of subtle ploy that the ADA employees she gets on tv and says like if you know anything about this baby 
or like why she would have been sick. If you know any graduates of Dr. Nick University (laughs) currently practicing medicine. So she names Dr. Gideon Hutton in the press scrum. And I was shocked by this, weren't you? It it really seems like the kind of thing that you never ever see because the potential for, you know, a libel lawsuit seems yeah, I mean, through the roof. We see the reason why that's so rare because we smash cut to Dr. Hutton in a police station screaming about a libel suit. Yeah. And he's got Viola Davis yeah. in his corner. The camera whips over to Viola Davis and she is just as pissed as he is. This libelous trash has been running all afternoon. I am done with you people propagating lies about my client. This is when uh, we find out about Lisa Ross, this baby that died of HIV. Yeah. Oh, I guess she's not a baby. She was four years old when she died. The Lisa Ross story arrived on the tip line that the ADA put out into the world. It was blown up with Hutton supporters and one viable tip, this Lisa Ross story. A lot of enthusiastic Hutton stands out there. (laughs) Yeah. So they got to go to the Ross residence where Tommy answers the door. Tommy has a lot to do this episode. And initially I was like, you know, child actor vibe you see a child actor in a lot of law and order episodes just like sort of struggling along but i actually really admire this performance quite a bit he does a lot he does i wish they'd given babs as much stuff to do as they gave tommy though because babs was like i I think aiden mitchell the actor that plays tommy ross like rose to the occasion but i thought babs was absolutely like showing that he was like in a different class of actor than a lot of the other guest stars like he's like on the martin mull violet davis level in this episode in a way that a lot of the other guest stars just aren't for me yeah and i mean sadly if you're here for the babs performance in this episode i that that chapter is closed (laughs) we don't see babs anymore yeah so the mom susan is explaining like, oh no, she died of like a bad reaction to penicillin. Nobody knew that she had this allergy because it was the first time she'd ever had it. And I rushed her back to Dr. Hutton's office and he did, you know, yeoman's work trying to save her, but it was just too late. Uh, It was just a a really sad accident. And uh, I've been real sad about it ever since. Susan Ross is played by Paula Malcolmson, who is recognizable to me for being in Deadwood, she's uh, Trixie, one of the main characters of that show. Oh, no kidding. She's also in Tombstone. She's Allie Earp, a performance I really enjoyed. She is a great actor. I recognized her as uh, Katniss's mother from uh, Hunger Games. I never watched the Hunger Games movies. Oh. So I didn't clock her from that. Uh, in my experience, they have them in the headrest on every single airplane seat in existence. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cool. <laughs> What's interesting here is that she's credited for two episodes in Law & Order SVU, one in 2008, that's the episode we're watching today, and another one in 2019. Whoa. (laughs) So she comes back as Stella Russell. Yeah, that's the other thing, is like there are lots and lots of actors in New York, but not enough to have no repeat performances in different roles, so. That's cool. I mean, her greatness as an actor is apparent here. She is a very damaged individual. Yeah. And her story is really sad. Yeah. She's a mom grieving for the death of her daughter, a daughter, she says, 
died of a penicillin allergy. But what about that rumor about the HIV? And does Susan think that's an accident? And Yeah. What do you think about that, Susan? Would you let him see Lisa Ross's medical records? Do you think you could do that? She doesn't seem game to participate in this investigation. No, she's very much under the sway of Dr. Hutton's way of thinking. Yeah. And um, Mr. Morong and his wife, like, think very similarly about medical issues to Susan Ross. I feel like they are given a lot less respect for the way they think about it in this episode. Like, it seems way weirder when they talk about their medical beliefs. It's a spectrum, right? Because, uh, you know, on one end, it's like, horse tranquilizer. Yeah. And on the other end, it's yogurt. And in the middle, there's like a chest paste. Right. So yeah. it just it just depends on where on that spectrum you are. But it's all kind of the same, right? I think so, but like Dr. Hutton like unpacks whence his beliefs a lot in this episode and like it becomes cl- very clear that he is very bigoted and a very hateful person. Yeah. And I thought it was Sort of a missed opportunity that they didn't explore at all that there's kind of an interesting common cause among bigots and the ignorant, <laughs> like people who like absolutely who well put like obviously bigots are are ignorant, but like he is a kind of bigot that like sets out to exploit the ignorance of others. All bigots are ignorant, not all ignorant are bigots. Yeah, that's what you're saying. It's possible to be a nice idiot. <laughs> They're talking to the DA and they're like, we got to figure out like what's going on here. Like, how do we how do we find out how we found out about Susan Ross? Because this is like an anonymous tip line we gave out and we can't trace the calls because if we were tracing the calls on the anonymous tip line, nobody would have recall. Yeah. So they do a little uh, like the fugitive style audio sleuthing and find out that there's a, a school bell in the call that they got about her and her daughter, and that leads them right to the guy that co-signed on her auto loan, a former lover and a former colleague at a fancy school up in Stamford, Connecticut. So uh, they go up there, and uh, (laughs) we discover that this dude is not only a jilted lover of hers, but he caught HIV from Susan. Damn. It has two kind of AIDS, the, the vagina AIDS and the needle-based AIDS. I, I'm a vagina guy. God. The story about how this happened is fucking bonk. She told him that her husband died in a safari accident in Kenya when their Jeep flipped over, and she was very badly injured and got a blood transfusion from which she contracted HIV. Kind of a lot is made of Susan's wealth after not being a teacher anymore. But the whole African safari vacation situation made me wonder what their budgetary constraints might have been while she was a teacher. Yeah, yeah. What was her husband doing that they had, like, extravagant vacation in Kenya money? I think... There's like a density to the information in a Law & Order episode that is so apparent in in the last scene and this scene that I think is useful for not making you stop Mm -hmm. and think about how insane this (laughs) these events are. Because the teacher who is fucking this other teacher, 
knows about her dead husband, probably knows about the Kenyan safari adventure. Right. Probably knows the circumstances of his death and the transfusion and so forth. I was also just thinking about like, oh, like they've worked in a second African country here. But like, there's something kind of weird about the the like the way Africa and AIDS are so linked in everybody's minds that like they can't help but like write a bunch of excuses for like why African AIDS specifically is the issue. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Doctor Hutton basically says later it's the worst kind. You know that, don't you? <laughs> All AIDS are bad. Well, no good AIDS. But I'm telling you, like I said, this is not the gay AIDS. Let me ask you a question. Did you understand Susan's termination from the school to be about criminally negligent sexual homicide attempt at Jack Lufton? Or was she like, you can't fire someone for not disclosing an STD, right? How about new? Boy, I wish I had a really uh, cogent answer to your question, Adam. I don't quite understand how that happened is what I'm saying. Yeah, she got fired and paid $2 million and he like is stuck still working this shitty job teaching chemistry to like assholes in Connecticut. In terms of raw deals... <laughs> What? Jack Lufton. He's up there on the board with the babies and the and the kids that are dying of, of untreated AIDS, right? He's got to be on the board, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least the baby doesn't have to be a teacher in a, in a struggling school district, right? Yeah. So uh, they've decided that the mom, Susan Ross, is uh, potentially criminally negligent for her daughter's death uh, because she didn't do anything to take... ARVs while she was pregnant or to treat the baby after uh, it was delivered. So to test that theory, they uh, exhume the body. We see a casket coming up out of the ground. And I was like, I really hope they don't show kid corpse in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big earth mover for a little body, right? Yeah. Like... <laughs> Now, when you dig in a hole to exhume a baby's <laughs> casket, you're going to want to dig an opening slightly larger than that very tiny, cute casket. That's got to be delicate stuff, right? Like, like usually grave plots are pretty close to each other. So you don't want to like, yeah. you don't want the claw to go down into the earth and get like half the body of the person next to the, to the casket you're going for. You got to use a metal detector or something, right? To get the dimensions. Yeah. And then you take the spray can <laughs> and your fluorescent orange <laughs> spray paint and draw your rectangle into the grass. We're using a type of computer system popularized by the film Jurassic Park to make <laughs> a map of the earth underneath our feet. <laughs> we get a pretty elegant sequence of three scenes here. We get the interrogation room where Susan Ross takes great umbrage with these cops digging up her daughter. Yeah. And uh, Detective Benson takes great umbrage with her giving those AIDS nips to her newborn. Meanwhile, Dr. Warner is doing the autopsy, which is thankfully all framed from below, cutting off yeah. the, uh, the thing she is working on. Right. We get Dr. Hutton and Viola Davis interrogated by the ADA. And... 
at the conclusion of all of these scenes, we learn that the kid was sick for weeks with what they thought was a cold, but it was pneumonia brought on by the HIV. And Dr. Warner, after finishing her autopsy, rules it a homicide. Or, if you're in heat, a homicide. (laughs) Am I thinking of another movie? You're thinking of when Denzel called it a holocaust? Nuclear war. Nuclear holocaust. Oh, I guess I am. (laughs) Yeah. That's how out of it I am. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they're like perp walking her through the station. And I, I think Dr. Hutton is getting cuffed as well. And Tommy Ross like has to watch this from the waiting area and has a, a big meltdown, has to be restrained by Chris Maloney. Give it up for Tommy Ross in this scene. Yeah, he goes big. I liked it. Why are you doing this to us? This is not the first time uh, Stabler and Tommy Ross have a physical interaction though, right? <laughs> no. Stabler's holding him back and he's like, oh, my ribs feel fine doing this. <laughs> Just as I hope they will remain for yeah. the rest of this episode. And Tommy's like, why did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> so in the courtroom, we've got a bunch of people wearing the ribbon. Kramer's there. He's not wearing the ribbon. No. But everybody else is wearing the ribbon. This is America. I don't have to wear anything I don't want to wear. Yeah. You know, we're hearing ADA Graylicks, you know, setting up this trial we're getting Dr. Hutton's testimony where he's talking about how he doesn't like that the government is spending billions of dollars to save drug addicts and gays from a disease that won't affect people like him. If I'm the ADA and I'm looking across the table at uh, Viola Davis as the defense attorney, Mm -hmm. I don't like my chances. I think there's like the specter of the greatness of Viola Davis is on this episode in such a way where I I expected her to win right. the entire time. It's, it's yeah, like there's something really jarring about seeing her in this episode and this being it's like it's impossible for me to project myself into a mindset of Viola Davis not being like one of the prestige movie stars of our era. Right. And like I guess her career just wasn't there at this point. Yeah, I mean Incredibly, this was 15 years ago. Yeah. I can't believe that also. <laughs> that just seems nuts. This, The show in terms of its production feels modern. It feels like it was on TV this week. Yeah. Hutton goes off on this fucking rant about the way the medical industry works and the idea that we shouldn't be moving a finger to protect these undesirable people that he thinks don't deserve medical care. It's like, why did you get into the medical industry in the first place, Dr. Hutton? Oh, I guess we don't have time for that question. All I could think about was with the racism of his theory, why Donna Emmett, Viola Davis's character, would defend him for any amount of money. Yeah. Specifically, what he says on stand is so ugly and gross. It's tough. Uh, Yeah. He also, like, compares himself to Jesus later on outside. Uh, yeah, nice courthouse step scene where Dr. Hutton and Dr. Warner argue about whether or not he is Jesus Christ. Right. That's good. Uh, you know, differing uh, opinions on that one, I guess. And the ADA tells Dr. Warner that she actually has some doubts about their ability to win this case because juries love conspiracy theories 
And also Viola Davis is over there. Yeah. <laughs> she's a fucking movie star and she's just sitting there helping him. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Bang, bang, right? We're back in court with Susan Ross on the stand describing her experience with HIV and how sick she felt on the medication. And she says, Dr. Hutton saved your life. And on cross, Graylick shows the court a bunch of people in the gallery who are AIDS survivors. And this is so persuasive that Susan Ross has a, a seizure. A seizure I thought was faked. I like really in thought, the moment. I thought that they were going to say it was faked also. Uh, yeah. it, it is not. Uh, also, just the judge, like, exerting as little control as he does over his courtroom, like letting <laughs> letting this fucking show trial go the yeah. way ADA Graylick is on one in this episode, doing like wildly irresponsible lawyering all the way through. It's wildly entertaining lawyering. It is, it is. And it's all your fault. Are you happy, D? Is this what you wanted? You just gave this baby full-blown AIDS. So it turns out what she's got is toxoplasmosis and... I could not believe this, Adam. I Is that the cat litter thing? It is the cat litter thing. And it, it is also the thing that Martin Shkreli made that uh, medication way more expensive to treat. No way. I stopped watching this episode and I looked at my phone and I had an article from Ars Technica pop up about how the company that Martin Shkreli founded like with the goal of buying up, you know, single disease medications and jacking up the prices of and the toxoplasmosis medicine being like the first example of that is like going bankrupt. They're going out of business and sure. they never lowered the price on that medicine like that. They did that in 2014. So well after this episode came out. But like they they jacked up the price and then Martin Shkreli got in all that legal trouble and I believe is in jail right now. But don't cat owners have enough trouble as it is <laughs> without the extreme cost of the medicines they require? Yeah, I I don't know. So so Shkreli doesn't get a name check in this one. But yeah, uh, no. yeah, yeah. So she is sick as fuck in the hospital, and uh, we get a very intense scene between her and. Uh, Detective Benson, where Susan realizes how wrong, how how misguided she's been and how she believed Hutton because it was comforting and because it like didn't force her to, you know, confront anything else about herself that she didn't want to confront. I mean, you get it, right? Like difficult news, the worst news. She has a hard time confronting that head on and she will cling she to has to like admit that her daughter died because of bad decisions and and like stupid shit that she did this is like one aspect to modern society that is so difficult to 
accept, which is like just generally how unwilling anyone is to admit that they're wrong. Right. And I think one of the appeals of a show like Bar Rescue, like it is one of the rare yeah. reality shows where somebody has to admit that they're wrong for real about a real thing that is happening in their life yeah. on camera. Yeah, most people wouldn't be willing to do that, it seems like. So Detective Benson is basically in the process of convincing Susan Ross, like when when you're feeling a little bit better, you're going to come testify against Dr. Hutton, and she fucking flatlines right then and there. RSVP Susan Ross. God, these detectives see some shit. <laughs> Just another day at the office. Yeah. I'm looking at my notes, and as you said that, my next note was, Jesus, this fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, then they're talking about, like, oh, yeah, now we're digging up way more bodies because there's, like, all of these other kids that died under Hutton's care. Three dead kids. Like, they need to deliver more gas to the cemetery to fill up the earth movers. Right. That guy's working overtime. So it's five years and no more medical license for uh, Dr. Gideon Hutton, Adam. And yeah. uh, <laughs> the scene where he's like accepting his plea bargain because he like had a hand in the deaths of multiple children that the ADA will easily be able to prove in court is uh, he's not exactly uh, penitent <laughs> in this moment. No, not at all. But you're not going to silence me. I will speak the truth from my prison cell. This performance is really interesting to me because I think Dr. Hutton is portrayed as the monstrous quack that he is, like ably. But I wonder how we would feel if he did feel bad about dead kids. Right. But he just doesn't. He doesn't. He believes more in his own beliefs than he feels bad about dead kids. And that is like a break in someone's humanity that I... I just can't get with. Yeah. It's also just like a interesting moment for Viola Davis's character. Cause like she has played the attorney who really believes everything she's saying the entire time. And the second she sees the writing on the wall, she turns to him and she's like, take the fucking deal, dude. <laughs> it's over. She has an opportunity to dump this fucking racist <laughs> and does it at her first opportunity. Yeah. It's great. So episode over, right? We got our man. No. <laughs> There's more sad shit to happen? There sure is. Oh. Here's the thing. I mean, the, the search for other families continues, and Stabler and Benson are looking through the files. Seven families so far are out there and in need of help, and a lab report from Susan's file shows a timeline that seems to indicate that Tommy might have HIV. And so the idea is to forcibly blood test Tommy Ross. And in attempting to do so, Stabler gets kicked in the chest and breaks two ribs. And Viola Davis bursts in and takes Tommy out of there before they can get the blood. Yeah, I didn't really understand how she became Tommy Ross's attorney, but she somehow justifies this. Yeah. He's like, I guess, in a foster home or something. Like, very little is made about, like, what a fucked up situation Tommy Ross is in. Yeah. But him having kicked Stabler is, like, the pretext for him charging him with a crime so that they can force the issue of testing him for HIV. 
It's also the pretext for a shirtless scene with Christopher Maloney that follows yeah. where he reveals his power girdle that he's, <laughs> he's wearing for his broken ribs. <laughs> Two broken ribs, ouch. Have you ever had broken ribs, Adam? Not that I know of. I think I would know it if I had, but... Yeah, it's it's no fun. Yeah. I broke a rib or two skiing one time, and uh, it it really sucks, because, like, any time... Like, it's mostly, like, getting in and out of bed that really hurts. Like, any time you're, like, changing the way gravity is acting on your torso, oof, no fun Did at all. Did you just ask the doctor to take out the ribs instead? Yeah. Of, uh, of, like, allowing them to heal? Yeah, that's why I'm so flexible in a particular way. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'd, I'd always wondered why when I leave the green room and come back, I, I always find you folded over like that. I'm like, <laughs> like half the hummus is gone. Pour another tequila. And your head is in your own pants. <laughs> we got an, a whole nother sequence in court. This is a competency hearing like Tommy was raised a an AIDS denier so he doesn't want to get tested for HIV and again the DA lady is just like completely fucking unhinged in in how she <laughs> approaches the courtroom scene I thought she was going to get kicked in the ribs with how <laughs> with how in Tommy's face she gets and how close? Yeah. Your mother sold you a bill of goods, Tommy. She risked your life to feed her denial. Stop saying bad things about my mother. She but it is decided by the judge that Tommy is free to live. His, like, he, he knows what the ramifications of the decision are. And he's free to live his life without getting tested, if that is what he chooses. And that is what he chooses. So there's like a kind of touching moment between him and Maloney where they're like, hey, like no hard feelings. Like, I know that that was like whack what we tried to do to you. Uh, I just want you to do me one favor, you know, like uh, maybe since you broke my fucking ribs, you can like do me this one solid. And that is go meet a kid named Kyle in the hospital who has like a... <laughs> <laughs> a very overfull bald cap on. Oh, you thought this was a bald cap? <laughs> it really did. It looked like it looked like this kid had like a very thick head of hair that they were like really <laughs> struggling to hide under this fucking rubber bald cap. Yeah. I get a headache when I'm wearing a hat that's too tight. How do you think a an entire day wearing this bald cap has got to feel? Ugh. So Kyle is a has been raised by a Christian scientists and had a brain tumor and is now being treated for his cancer. So it's like a like my parents believe some fucking bullshit too, man. Yeah. Like, what do you think of that? Tommy, your your parents are Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> and someone Val Kilmer had sex with? What? <laughs> it's sad stuff. It's sad especially because I mean I'm not going to say especially, because I think the brain cancer is the worst part of the story. A close second is how his fucked up family situation led to the delay in his treatment and that he was sort of ostracized from his Christian science family. Yeah. And that is a mega bummer. It really is. Stabler's like, here's another kid that kicked me in the ribs Yeah. not that long ago. It's the relationship I have. The episode is like, okay, after the like scared 
people from Africa who were worried about being deported and so let a baby get extremely sick to the point that it had thrush and they had to surrender it to the fire department. And after the woman dying of a treatable illness on the stand and after the like half a dozen kids we found out died under the care of this doctor and after uh, Stabler got kicked in the ribs so hard that they broke and after the Christian science kid having terrible brain tumor. Preach. Let's get one last sad revelation in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Get maximum sadness before the finish line here. Tommy, whose father, sister, and mother are all dead, finds out that he has HIV. Oof. I mean, the, the moment for this child actor really comes to a crescendo here, right? Because there's... So much happening here that's nonverbal between Tommy and Stabler that I like that they just end with a look, you know? Yeah. Like he admits the horrible truth, but there isn't an overwritten kind of apology or Stabler telling him that everything's going to be all right. Like, like there's a little bit of that, but it's not that sugary bullshit, you know? Like this is a dark show. Yeah about a dark subject with dark characters in it. And this is the sort of dark ending that you would get on a show like this. No sugarcoating at all. Yeah. It was just like one last really firm kick in the dick to go out on. (laughs) Did you like this episode of Law & Order SVU? It was a kick in the ribs. Ben, I mean, it was a... Why did I say dick? God fucking damn it. That was right there. As an exploration of Babs Ellison-McCoon's acting resume, I think we need more episodes to really do that. It was neat to see him in something else, playing a completely different person the way he does. Playing a character on a show where this is part of the rung of being an actor. You know? Like, you... You toil away on Law and Order episodes, and some actors make the leap, and sometimes they don't. And it was neat to see Babs on a show like this and to recognize his potential. I mean, as a show, you and I differ a lot on our appetites for, you know, darkness or cruelty with our recreational television. <laughs> and I do sometimes enjoy a dark show, but I specifically don't enjoy procedurals like this now i mean i want to walk that back like i love the wire Mm -hmm. and i can appreciate its greatness but like i think one of the things that makes the wire really great is it's only 10 episodes a season or whatever right and what i can't do is watch 30 episodes of true detective in two weeks or 500 episodes of Law & Order SVU over the course of months as a form of entertainment. And like, I'm glad shows like this exist for all of the obvious reasons. It's not a show that I'm a huge fan of specifically, even though I can get on its level with its darkness. Yeah. I don't know. I have kind of a complicated answer to that question. I, I like the exercise of watching it maybe mostly because I don't watch it all the time. How's that? I kind of feel the same way. Like I I approached this one going like, you know, I love many procedurals like 
Baywatch, famously a show I really like watching. Sure. You know, lots of, uh, I, and I loved The Wire as well. I've enjoyed many detective shows over over the course of my life. And I, I do really like the kind of like, here's a new adventure every week kind of television. And I think that Star Trek is often that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this one specifically doesn't appeal to me a ton. I I understand why it does for people though. Like I think that being scared of a lot of the kinds of things that shows like this deals with is like a very normal thing and Mm -hmm. having a like a pretty safe environment to process those feelings like a show like this is is fine it's just like it's not to my taste for a like an evening of of watching but uh, as a as a way of uh, seeing an early role for Dr. Mbenga, I really enjoyed it. And I think that uh, like one thing I was thinking about is like for all of the talking about doctors and like medical jargon thrown about in this episode, yeah. I was like, yeah, I wish that they'd given him more like that to do because we know that he's got that gear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Adam, do you want to see if there's anything in our priority one inbox today? I was just about to drop these priority one messages off at my local fire station, mm. but yeah. maybe you and I can care for them temporarily. <laughs> okay. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from the Dith via Morn of Luria. It is to Captain Lisoto. That message goes like this Congratulations on your new home in Florida. I'm sending this extremely sensitive Priority One message via my most secure channel, Morn of Lyria. I know he's a bit of a blabbermouth, so I hope this confidential new home advice gets to you safely. If not, maybe Ben and Adam could fill in. The message I gave Morn is as follows. (laughs) And that's the end of the message? I guess so. (laughs) Maybe we put the crickets there or something. Okay. Morn, terrible messenger. Yeah. Bad job by the Dith in their choice of messenger. Yeah, as likely to barf up a fortune as to actually get you your message, right? Hell yeah. Yeah. Hey, look at this. Our second priority one message is from Captain Lesoto. Oh. And it's to Madame Mare, a.k.a. the Dith, a.k.a. Meredith, a.k.a. Mare. Hmm. Goes like this. Hmm. Hey, Mare, remember the Titans? And the the S at the end of Titan is in parentheses. So I think that this is talking about the Titan. Oh, yeah. Which does not bear that name any longer. Nope. Enterprise Grandpa. (laughs) I wonder, did Captain Liz Soto and and Mayor, a.k.a. the Dith, coordinate this? Because we're, like, super late on getting uh, these P1s out. Like, they both requested dates that uh, have, have long passed. Uh, yeah, I think we could blame our friend at the network, Danny, for this, for, oh, for yeah. putting these two messages together. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you'd like to get a very interestingly timed Priority One message, uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. Oh, this is a crucial question for today's subject matter, Ben. <laughs> Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin in this episode of Law and Order SVU, <laughs> the sex crimes Law and Order. <laughs> you 
know, Edward Larkin famously yells, I'm not the dumb one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a scientist, not a doctor, correct? Right. But considers himself a learned man. Sure. So I think that uh, Dr. Hutton is going to get it from me. Mm. Because Dr. Hutton is fucking dumb. <laughs> I am shocked that your Larkin wasn't my Larkin. Mr. Morong! <laughs> Mr. Morong! Come on, dude. You knew... You knew that was a baby you'd been taking care of. Yeah. He did know that was a baby. How did you think this was going to play out? And then you go describe the person to a caricature artist? I, I want to see the picture that he described. <laughs> like, like, does it look like when you make a like an avatar for your character yeah. in Skyrim and you just like put everything to one extreme or the other? <laughs> I got a question. Like, oh yeah, bigger eyes. <laughs> for the Friends of DeSoto who were associated with law enforcement, I wonder if... When a sketch artist finishes their work and maybe the need for that work is over, does the artist keep that in oh. like a portfolio the way a tattoo artist would? Or <laughs> does the person describing it get to keep it if if they're describing a family member or something? Like, what happens to all that? It's a great question. I want to know. Yeah. Is it like J.K. Woodward where occasionally they sell them and uh, support a charity or something? <laughs> That would be great. You like to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, Mr. Morong, like having to endure a, a sketch artist situation, knowing that it's all bullshit. Mm -hmm. I wanted that scene so bad. Man. If anybody listening is a sketch artist also. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know more. Yeah. Very curious about that. All right. Well, Adam, that was a very fun episode of the show. Do you want to uh, head over to the uh, the Warning Bois? Ben, I've taken my Earth Mover over to the Warning Bois channel in Slack, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm moving the bucket over the very small plot oh. that contains our message today. <laughs> what an exhumerous way of putting it, Adam. Wow, what a great word to use. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, Dan on Twitter sent us a map that he drew. This is related to the Devil's Revenge episode we did. It's a map to the Black Hollow Cave. <laughs> and this looks screen accurate. Yeah. <laughs> It's got sort of a um, family circus, like Billy going to do a chore vibe to it. A lot of like dashed lines over and through different places. Can't ignore the neat cavern looking like a butt, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very hard to miss that. Really great. Yeah. <laughs> I also enjoy the mob justice field and the Shatner shortcut. <laughs> you can find that uh, posted on the Greatest Trek Twitter on May the 5th. If you want to see that for yourself, very cool. May the fifth be with you. Thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks to everybody that makes a social media a post about the show. Really helps get the word out, and uh, we couldn't appreciate it more. Yeah, we probably don't want uh, this particular episode of Greatest Trek to be anyone's first experience. <laughs> but I thought this was a Star Trek podcast. What the fuck is going on? What a strange and fun exercise our spring break has been. Going all over the place, Ben. Yeah, we're uh, we're going into the crypt next week. 
That's right. And here's Wendy to tell you all about that. Greatest Trek is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We've got two more spring break episodes left before Strange New World starts up again. Next week on Friday, Ben and Adam will be back with a review of Tales from the Crypt, Season 2, Episode 11. It's called Judy, You're Not Yourself Today, and it stars Carol Kane, who, of course, is joining the Strange New Worlds cast for Season 2. You can find that full episode on YouTube, and I hope you'll join us back here next week for that. Thank you to Adam Ragusea for composing all of the original music for this show. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that we highly recommend. Just search for Adam Ragusea. Thank you to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts to stay up to date and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. You can also find fan-run communities on Reddit, Facebook, and on Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.